When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. The last time I saw a body like yours, you know, I was buried in my basement. Welcome back, Andy. Thank you, sir. Uh, of course, I'm talking to Andy Shawl. Uh, he hosts absolutely no podcast, but uh, <laughs> for some reason, uh, we all have him on our shows. I'm uh, America's house guest of podcasts. So yeah, you do. Uh, well, it's because you do a fabulous job, and we all want to. Oh boy, yeah. the pressure's on now. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I try to like put somebody under the under the scope to see how they handle like uh, the heat. <laughs> You know, should I get one of the lights that the cops use in an interrogation room or something? Or yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, yeah, you want to paint the picture? We're outside. We are outside. Uh, although we got your uh, neighbors going. Yeah, I wonder here. if they're going to get picked up here. Yeah, they are <laughs> brand new neighbors. They got a lovely little daughter over there, so they might be uh, picked up. But to me, that's the ambiance. You mm. know what I mean? It's it's a beautiful Minnesota evening, right? That's right. We got a big German Shepherd over in the next yard. Is it? A, it's it looks a, like a German Shepherd. I'm pretty sure it's 100 percent wolf. <laughs> Uh, looks like it's bigger than me. <laughs> uh, he's a good boy. His name is uh, um, Shogun. Shogun. Okay. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Also new neighbors. By the way, in the last year, I got new neighbors on both sides. Wow. Was it something I did after the last 15 years? Uh, well, like, 15 years of Baco is enough. They both left. Chewbacco. Chewbacco, yes. Uh, right. Thank you, Eric Miller, for that. Uh, <laughs> well, to, I brought you back because uh, when we first had you on, we were talking about the Melvins uh, record. Was it Bullfrog? Bullhead? Bullhead, yeah, okay. yes. Great that I can't really remember that. but uh, <laughs> um, I was just getting the things off the ground, and, and you agreed to do a record that you really hadn't heard too much. Yeah. I, I felt obligated. It's like, you know what, if there's anything on the list that you would like to do, yes. it's yours, and you pick this. 
Yes. And what? tell us what it is. We picked the single soundtrack from 1992. Yeah, coming in at number 19, 19. on the Rolling Stones' uh, greatest grunge albums of all time. Um, you also brought gifts again, so thank yes. you. Um, so now this is kind of almost themed for the show. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. got plaid. Oh, I didn't even realize that. It is the artwork, that. yeah. So oh. it's called Plaid Bikini from a local uh, brewer called Udapels. Now, do you have a personal connection to these guys, or I do. Uh, my son played baseball with one of the uh, one of the owner's sons, so I got to hear about the entire process of how they were uh, building it from the ground up. I think the season was over before he opened up, but uh, I got to hear all about it, and uh, it's fascinating. You know, the inner workings of how to start a brewery in uh, Minnesota. Maybe that should be the theme of your podcast that you'll oh, eventually start, like yeah. uh, how to start a brewery, episode one. Nice. Um, and you yes. just get in different guys, and you know. well, one nice thing about the Twin Cities is we have enough of these damn brew pubs. And, For now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think COVID might take a handful well, of them down. Uh, that's true. Probably nationwide too. Yeah, I mm. actually thought the bubble was about to burst anyway. I mean, these things are popping up goddamn everywhere. Yes. Um, and at, at a certain point, something that becomes actually really cool becomes a trend, and then it becomes unfashionable, and then it becomes, <laughs> you know, uh, what? It, so the, the the stalwarts will stick around. I think we'll always have Summit and. Probably surly. Yes. Um, we need more Gene Vogels in the world to drink from yeah, all well, these uh, microbreweries. Uh, Gene Vogel might drink enough of this stuff that he can keep them all in business. Uh, uh, he's on the uh, the Where's Beardo oh, yeah. Facebook group every weekend with yeah. a new uh, new six pack. Every of something. weekend, every night. Well, okay, very uh, true. I mean, that guy is wasted all the time. Uh, I don't want to cast any dispersion, but I think oh, you might be right. I, was that a dispersion? Uh, sure. I, I think it's a compliment. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to get drunk every day? Uh, good point. Yeah. Good point. Anyway, sir. let me uh, let me open this sucker up here. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like something that uh, I, w- I would say I'm going to hate. <laughs> Cheers. You know what? Uh, not too bad of an aroma. No? I think I think I'm going to be okay. I think I won't die. It's not a. This. It's not a mango blueberry porter <laughs> with uh, extra uh, hops. Mm. You know, that's um, we haven't done a, a beer review in a while on the show. Um, that's not bad. What's the alcohol level on this thing? Oh, there we go, five point two. Yeah, yeah, I'm fucked. Um, so, uh, but uh, uh, well, uh, cheers, Mr. Shaw. Cheers, sir. thank you. Uh, thank you for the uh, the gift. Um, it's uh, which is odd. I really should be paying you. You're uh, you're the one that, that made the trip. So uh, anyway, yeah, we're in my backyard. It's my first po- ever time podcasting outside. Uh, yes. Yours? Uh, uh, indeed. Yes, my I think my I virgin time. I might have tried. Li- I've done live interviews at like at concerts and stuff. Yeah, but I don't and think rock really and counts. pod. Yeah, rock. Well, that was indoors. True, true. Um, although at uh, no at Camaro's place, he supposedly had this thing recording the whole time, but never heard any of it. Insert Aaron Camaro laugh here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, he's up next. By the way, oh yeah, he's after you. We're doing the uh, Mad Season. Oh, spoiler alert uh, for those who are trying to stay off the uh, internet and not, uh, <laughs> not find out what's next. But um, the two-year-old list from Rolling Stone, yes. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's it. Well, we've covered it before. It's out there, people. Uh, but yeah, but maybe if someone is listening, you know what I mean. Someone who's like, 
I am not going to look down this list. I want to find out what's next as these come out. And then they get really pissed off because it goes from Ron Keel interview to <laughs> two episodes of Kiss Hot in the Shade. It's like, when am I going to find out what's next? I thought this was every other week. I don't want to hear about loose Cannon's dental work. Come on, man. Let's go. I'm looking for single soundtrack. Oh, well, let's get into it a little bit. Um, so it was released on June 30th, 1992, which was almost uh, at least two months before the movie came out in September. Uh, came out in late September, yeah. so three months before. Now, was that common? I don't recall. The soundtrack's being out like months ahead of a movie? Uh, actually, I saw an interview in Rolling Stone with Cameron Crowe when they had the 25th anniversary uh, in 2017. And, uh, yeah, he said that was not the uh, normal business practice. He released the movie and the soundtrack usually was a, you know came a week or two behind it. Okay. To kind of generate yeah. the buzz. Okay. So yes, you are correct, Bob. What did he explain? Once. Was there a, <laughs> was there a reason why? Did he give that at all? Uh, I think they wanted to build the buzz with the album. Now a little bit of uh, they had you, seen the movie and like yeah we need to get people interested. In this. <laughs> well no here's the thing this uh, singles was uh, was filmed between March and May of 1991. Hmm. So Warner Brothers whoever this was sat on it for a year because you think about it. In uh, so they wrap in you know May of ninety one. Well, where was Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains at that point? I mean, they were still pretty minor league bands. I mean, you had Man in the Box for Alice in Chains had already come out the year before, hmm. but you know it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't blockbuster. Well, now you're making it seem like the the whole Seattle scene was a bit of a like I don't know. Um, a George Soros conspiracy. <laughs> like, this was some kind of, like, deep state music industry deep plan. Yeah, deep, deep six. six compilation. Um, to make Seattle, uh, to make Starbucks a lot of money. <laughs> there uh, we go. To, to rebrand Seattle as a place to visit and not a place to leave. Uh, good point, good point. But no, uh, the movie uh, studio just sat on it because they didn't know what the hell to do with this thing. There wasn't a I really Seattle... wanted to flesh out this conspiracy more. Oh, I'm getting sorry. back to that. I'm sorry. Carry on. All right. You know, there wasn't uh, there wasn't a Seattle scene as, as of this point <laughs> as far as the mainstream media was concerned. So they sat on it, and, you know, it just so happened in the fall of 91 is when, you know, Nirvana kicked it off, and then Soundgarden came in, and Pearl Jam. Well, you and... know, Bruce Pavitt mentioned that when I talked to him, that, like, yep. in his mind, things were already happening before Nevermind. And it was basically, you know, they all knew, right. you know, and they, they actually almost look at Nevermind as like the end. Uh, I mean, from, from, from a scene point. Yes, yes, kind of. It like, was definitely the birth for the rest of the nation. Right. But from, from you know, someone from like him local. who was in uh, Seattle was like, yeah, it was this great thing. And then Nirvana happened, and then it was basically <laughs> toast. And then 14-year-old girls were going to Hot Topic and buying Nirvana T-shirts, right? Yeah, that, you know, that well, what happened was is uh, Hot Chick started dressing... Not hot, which really disappointed <laughs> Brett Michaels. I don't know if you know this, but Brett Michaels has actually been dead since about ninety four. Well, his hair certainly has. Been. Well, yeah, um, he is a zombie. <laughs> he just puts a lot of makeup on. Yeah, there's a okay. I can a, I can go with that. Theory. There's a documentary that uh, a band Jesus Christ are put together on it years ago <laughs> called Brett Michaels Ghost Zombie. Um, I encourage anybody to go to the internet right now. Go to YouTube. Type in Brett Michaels Ghost Zombie. And all will be explained. The way I heard it, it's the ghost of Brett Michaels. He's back from the grave and seeking revenge. I don't think he's dead. He blames his band for all of his failed relationships, and now he's taking out his revenge by brutally murdering other bands. I'm pretty sure he's still alive. I heard 
He wraps his headband around your arm so tight, your arm falls off. Then he uses your arms as drumsticks. And your fingernails as guitar picks. Guys, he's not dead. Do the math, Trev. He's been crushed by a stage prop, had an aneurysm, a brain hemorrhage. What is this guy, Superman? People don't survive those things. You can't kill something that's not alive. Christ's sakes, he had a warning stroke. What the hell is a warning stroke? Plus, he's got diabetes. Diabetes, Trev. Diabetes. Holy shit. It's like I've been deaf my whole life, and now I'm seeing for the first time. But yeah, Brett Michaels was just, because he's like, I'm used to like strippers and yes. hot chicks, not like, I can't tell if she's got big boobs or not, based on the flannel. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it's coming through, but my cat Pep is in the background here. He's wanting to get out, but... So yeah, uh, everything is, is explained in there. You find out like why, how we know he's dead, okay, and things of that nature. We we offer evidence and, and well, I haven't seen the scalp since 1994, so I might. Uh, I think you might be onto something. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the the movie came out a couple months after the soundtrack. I heard the soundtrack probably before, definitely before it came out. I was working at a college radio station, KRPR in Rochester, okay, and uh, and we never got cool advances. You know, like we got, right. I think we got Nirvana, Nevermind, uh, about two months after the album broke. Oh, Not sure. like when, before it came out. So we had, you know, the idea, this thing that was in my hand, is like, now I'm like, I know all these bands. These are all my new artists, Pearl oh. Jam, Soundgarden, you know, Alice in Chains, and, and would be in the lead single was, was Killer too. Yep. So, um, yeah, I got to hear it that way. I ended up, uh, I think I stole the CD from the radio station. <laughs> I was there the day it arrived, so nobody knew. And I would just bring it in and play songs when I was on shift, but then take her back home. Nice. Um, but uh, it, this is not the copy because it does not. I don't. Even, I probably pawned it. You know, back then I <laughs> sold I, it I, to Cheapo Records. And well, Paul, yeah, whatever or? the local record stores were. It was uh, what was Rochester, Minnesota. It was Face to Music and uh, Broadway Records. They both bought you know used music back when you could actually sell a CD for like three or four dollars. Oh yeah. You know, like, and so I probably got a couple days. bucks for it. And, you know, ate McDonald's that day. Yeah, I uh, graduated high school in June of '92, so this was right at the peak period for me, man. As far as uh, you know, getting out of high school, getting ready to go into college, I would hear. Uh, I remember hearing Wood on uh, 93X here in the Twin Cities back when that was still would play. You know, Rush, Closer to the Heart, yep. and then they would go to uh, Megadeth, Sympathy of Destruction. Uh, to gosh, to to Allison Chains. Yeah. So, and that was right before it turned to the Edge, which was the alternative station, right? Correct. Yeah, it was still kind of a hard rock, yeah. quote unquote. But you could hear uh, classic rock mixed in with the new band. The album. It's my lovely wife, Amy, over there. Amy, say hi to Andy Shaw. Hi, Amy. Um, probably gonna leave that in. Uh, she's the brains and the beauty of the yeah. Baco family. <laughs> she's everything. She's a complete package. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm You're the weak link. Yes, you are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's the sports metaphor? I, I outkick my coverage. <laughs> Outpund your coverage. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, the fuck was I going there? Did you see it in the theater? Uh, no, but I I was aware of it because MTV did a uh, singles movie premiere uh -huh. in fall of 92. I remember watching that back when you could still watch stuff like that on MTV. Uh, I remember renting it at, you know, the local video store uh, as soon as it came out. Definitely a movie for me. I love Cameron Crowe's previous stuff. Uh, you know, he wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's all-time classic. He didn't Correct. say anything. 
Um, and I think kind of singles gets kind of, you know, in the Cameron Crowe uh, catalog, singles kind of gets forgotten about because it's not on any of the streaming services right now. I had to run to my local half-price books and buy a, the DVD. Really? Because if you think, you know, you got Fast Times, you got Say Anything, which is a 80s, you know, classic. Right. Then you have this. Then he did uh, Jerry Maguire, which is, you know, the biggest thing. Show me the money! That's right. Uh, back when everyone still thought Tom Cruise was normal. Mm, not me. <laughs> that, <laughs> I, 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 no joke. Yeah. I was a front runner on this dude is messed up. <laughs> I have always had a bad vibe on that guy. Okay. And when he finally snapped, I was like, thank you. Vindication. Ibaka uh, was leading the way and the rest of the world had to catch up with you. The one like time that. I was right, <laughs> it had to be about something so important as Tom Cruise being nuts. Yes. Uh, so he did Jerry Maguire. Then he did Almost Famous, which, you know, every rock pod geek out there. Uh, Honestly, like. no? overrated. Uh, Solid movie. Not. It's definitely not a waste of your time watching. But the, the hype did not, it was not validated. I thought, like, eh, it's okay. You know, I'm going to agree with you on that. Uh, overrated, yes, but a solid movie yeah. nonetheless. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm not mad that I saw it. It's like, right. I like, I think, like you said, I think Cameron Crowe turns out a quality product. Yes. But I think, like, his box office numbers represent a pretty, you know what? Perfectly rated. Yes. You know, yes. He perfectly does, rated. There you go. Pe- people know his name. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> uh, he, <laughs> don't be giving that to loose. No, I wrote a damn article about that shit. Before we met. Got All it. right. Got it. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Trouble in paradise <laughs> Trouble now. in paradise. Um, Holy crepes. Cameron Crowe is a name people should know. Yep. You know, it, it, but he is, uh, I would actually, who's the other Cameron? James Cameron. Yeah. James Cameron Crowe. That would be like just a, <laughs> na- that's a, James, a band name for you. Uh, Ringo Death Star? I think James Cameron overrated. Cameron Crowe perfectly rated. Hmm. Interesting. At the same time, I understand why... Uh, uh, James Cameron movies are big. Yeah, is because they're easy for the masses to, you know, it's 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 like a a meme. It's like there's not a whole lot of thought that I have to. I don't <laughs> use, need to use my brain here. A guy gets into a suit and then can be transported into a world of blue yeah. giant people. Uh, and once sure. again, the a single white male uh, <laughs> cures all for some uh, minimized uh, race. So there, so there's your Cameron. Let's pull Cameron. that. Pull that damn avatar off of uh, Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, time. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. let's, let's get rid of it. Uh, but anyway, back to this movie. Right. Uh, so, uh, you are you a fan of the movie? You like it? Love the movie. Uh, I hadn't watched it in probably ten years. Uh, picked it up last weekend. Watched it again. It was great. There were some little nuances that I had never noticed before. So uh, we'll get into that. Okay, we'll get into that later. Um, I like. Um, I like this movie better than almost everyone that you mentioned, other than probably Fast Times. Okay. Um, I was really looking forward to this movie, and as much as I enjoyed it, it still let me down in a sense. Like, like I don't relate to any of these characters. <laughs> and I, th- I think in hindsight I do now, because I think at the time what I was looking for was like a movie that was grunge-specific. Sure. And this really is just a movie that takes place with human beings living in a world where grunge is big. Yes. And... Yes. In hindsight, that's kind of the world I was living in. Sure. I was just like more the Matt Dillon character, um, <laughs> you know, which, you know, much well, to my chagrin. Well, you do have a beer and lifestyle music podcast. So. Yes, there you go. And it's uh, big in Belgium. 
Yeah, it was nice. Thank you. Extremely. Uh, <laughs> um, Kira Sedgwick seemed like she was way too old for the character she was playing then. Uh, you know, I agree totally. I was thinking that as well when I rewatched it the other night. Uh, she was about 28, and she looks about 38 in the movie. She comes across <laughs> uh, a little older than uh, the character should be. But you know, but, Winona Ryder probably would have been a better pick. Uh, but she did her own stupid. Uh, uh, what was that? Oh, one that was uh, Reality Bites. Yeah, this which is not was the Reality the... Bites podcast. And uh, <laughs> don't get me going on Winona Ryder, uh, Melissa Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so back to the the soundtrack. This came out, uh, like I said, June thirtieth, nineteen ninety two. Yep. It uh, comes in at a whopping sixty five minutes and twenty seven seconds because of what thirteen tracks? Sorry. Thirteen tracks, sir. All right. Now they, they did release a deluxe edition, which were I'm going to talk about one song. If you there's more you'd like to get into, but uh, I think you, you probably probably know which one I'm going to bring up. But um, for a soundtrack that fits the movie, I think you're going to find out when we get to the end of this. I, I thought it did a very good job, but. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, the record opens up with wood. and eerie and it's got uh, pounding I said marching tribal drums mm. going on very much so yep, we're getting the, the no. wife of, wife's dropping the <laughs> this look is, of this approval this is the only reason I'm still married by the way I have to open the top on a, on a lid here there we go she keeps around for something yeah I'm strong, not sure what that is one but. strong hand <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you know what I find ironic uh, about Wood being on this album? You know, you would have uh, Clerks come out in 94. That's with, a good point. With another Alice in Chains song off of that soundtrack. Which one was on there? Uh, Got Me Wrong. Oh, wait. Like, that was on Clerks? Yes, it was, sir. Um, so two, because, And uh, also another Minneapolis band on there that wasn't getting a lot of notoriety at the time. Uh, Soul Asylum was on there. Oh, yes, you are correct. Before um, they really hit. You know what? We're not you're talking, the host. We're, so. we're getting off on okay, all these different soundtracks. My, my God. I just find it funny that uh, Alice in Chains would be on two of the biggest you know, grunge-slash-indie movie soundtracks uh, of the early 90s. That is interesting. I guess I hadn't put that together. Uh, well, that's why you have me here, Bob. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, that's one of the reasons. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but uh, Clerks also, it, just to uh, touch on that a little bit, definitely a movie that benefited from kind of this shift in movement in everything, you know what I mean? Because yep. it wasn't just music, it was almost a lifestyle with grunge. Yep. And and that very much permeates in things like Starbucks blowing up and, and uh, um, movies like uh, Clerks coming out, that kind of thing. This yep. idea that like we we can just be a little more, I don't know, DIY 
about things, really benefited things, and then they turned into these massive, of course, corporations that are bloated. <laughs> and I was just going to say, uh, we kind of hit the apex of the Generation X era, we but really I hate did. using ge- the term Generation X. Why? So, eh, I just always thought it was, you know, a marketing gimmick. I did really. at the time, and I didn't really care for the term grunge at the time. Now, I embrace it. Okay. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm better than the previous and, and following generation. <laughs> there you um, go. I, I, I knuckle down while you guys whine and piss and moan. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll drink to that. All right, cheers, buddy. Cheers. There's another one. All right. Ooh, Tepples is really uh, ooh, taking a hit. Uh, any more thoughts on wood, though? Uh, of course, you know, it deals with uh, the death of Andrew Wood from Mother Love Bones. Sort of. I mean, it was, it's, it, it's almost like a pun. Yes. You know, when you were talking about kind of songs that came out in between albums, this this album here right. uh, really kind of hits the mark. Because he had Facelift, which was Alice in Chains' debut, mm-hmm. which was in This is before 90. Dirt. Yep. And this hit right before Dirt. So it was just kind of in that in-between era where you've heard Man in the Box, and you're like, dude, I want to hear something new from these guys. What do they got? And they drop wood on the single soundtrack. Amazing track. Yes, it is. It should have stayed here. That was one of my notes. Is that like I think what keeps Dirt from being a perfect record is them shoehorning this song on there. And yeah. not that I don't like this song, but to me the rest of that album sounds like a complete record. And then plus Dirt, <laughs> it's like one of the, it's like one of those things when you buy it, it's like bonus track on a CD, and it's just like you got two columns, almost like a side A side B, and then underneath the two columns is like bonus track. It's like, <laughs> well, where does this fit in? You know, I mean, it, you know, at the age of CD, they're just trying to slam as much as they could on at, at a certain point. But right. to me, this is this song is it's one of the few examples on here that I think actually merits going back to for the artist that, that it is. But it really should have just stayed on here. This this didn't belong on Dirt is my only gripe. Sure. Not a lot to do about the soundtrack. Great way to open it up if you're a, a guy like me that loves you some Alice in Chains and, and oh, like yeah. uh uh and this is this is not even my favorite Alice in Chains song, but it's still a killer fucking track. Uh what kind of rating are we using today for Seattle reference side? Uh, did you have one? Uh do you have a few? Do you do you want to bust them out as we go? Oh gosh. Well I I feel like I would just be uh you know, aping on Gene Vogel's. <laughs> go ahead, so. whatever. We gotta do something. Uh I we can go just with the Doc Martins. Uh, okay. I'm fine. I gave it a five out of five. Yeah, I give it five Doc Martins as well. I wish I could give it six, but... Uh, well, you can, by the way, because no. I'm so loose with these rules that I really don't care what you do. Uh, so it's a six Doc Martin for you, and I Hell give it yeah. a five. All right. Uh, well, the next track here is uh, from Pearl Jam, and it's the, the track Breathe.
Not a bad tune, but honestly, uh, if I'm in the mood for Pearl Jam, I will never, ever go back to this song. This isn't the song that I'm like, man, I really need to hear that tune. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so while yes. it does seem like it's almost perfect for a soundtrack in the sense of like, well, we would never put this on a record, so you can have this one. Right. Uh, so they had already recorded 10 you know, a year yeah, this before. Is, this is a couple years after, yeah. So this was, uh, so actually both Pearl Jam songs on this record were recorded in January of 92. So after 10 had been released. Mm-hmm. But, and before Versus. And before Versus. So Versus, what, 93 or something like that? Yes, 93. Okay. So this was just kind of, uh, you know, what they had kind of left that they had been kicking around. This song, I guess, had been kicking around since the Mother Love Bone days. Oh, really? Um and then when they got the call to say, hey, we need some sound. Say that again. What was the name of the band? Mother Love Bone. <laughs> I've had two beers. I don't know. Yeah, the first time I was like, Mother Love Bone Days. <laughs> Mother Love Bone Days. Yes. Don't you know. Mother Love Bone Days. The music was done by uh, by Stone uh, Gassard. And then Eddie Vedder did Gossard. the lyric. Gossard, thank you. Not, like, you're the Bachman. I'm a loose cannon right now. It's like, just, <laughs> like I'm making fun of the way you pronounce everything. Uh, Going to give me a complex... Uh, well, whatever. Mother love bone so, uh, so Embrace yes. it. That's what I say. There we go. That's what he would do. He would steer <laughs> into the skid. Mother love bone days. <laughs> He's two beers so, in, and this is what we get. Oh, boy. Mother love it's bone days. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. I could see why it was left off of 10 and why they didn't yeah. uh, do a final mix then or a final uh, version of this then. The, the sound of the song actually bothers me a little bit, too. I think it's not. It's like it doesn't really feel like it's a finished production, um, oh. which may be a recurring theme here. Teaser. Okay. Um but I don't know. Um, I clocked us in. Even with all that negativity, <laughs> I give it uh, three Doc Martens. Three? I actually gave it a four. Wow, okay. I was being generous. No, all right. Well, so. yeah, because you actually, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I love how people come into this. Because like, like, to me, it's like, man, if I hate a song, like I really have to not like it to hit the hit two. Right. So to me, it's like three is kind of blasé. Four means it's solid. Five is out of the park. Sure, but uh, there's probably a lot of like steps there, which is why Gene Vogel liked the uh, the decimal points. Yes, three point sevens, <laughs> things of that nature. So, but what did you give it? Oh, you, you said it. You gave it. Yeah, I gave four. it four. Well, next uh, seasons credited only to Chris Cornell of Soundgarden. the backstory on this no i do not let's hear it. all right so you have the matt dillon character in the movie who is cliff poncier uh, i'm sure i'm saying that wrong too no it's uh, not right to me uh so you know you know he, i did give you a complex come on andy <laughs> just roll with it so uh in the movie you know he's in citizen dick and then he gets kicked out 
and then in a deleted scene, I found this on YouTube, he's, he created a, uh, a tape, a five-song EP, that actually, when they were looking to create it in the movie, Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam. Or Ament, depending Ament, on who you're talking you. to. No, whoa, 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 whoa. Let, let me. I said, Ament. or. Who you talk It depends on who you there talk you to, yes. Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam had created the fake cassette to make it look like a real, you know, indie release yeah. that some guy would just make in, you know, Kinko's. And he put five songs on the on the uh, tape just to make it look more authentic, even though you would never see it in the movie. And one of the songs was called Seasons. So Chris Cornell sees it, and he goes out and he goes, well, i got to write a song. So there's not actually any music on this tape. It's just no. a list of song titles. It was just five song titles that Jeff just pulled out of his ass. Right on. And then uh, Cornell sees it. He goes, well, i got to write some songs. Uh, Seasons was one. Spoon Man was another. Oh, my God. That's why in the movie I hear you hear uh, 10 seconds of the working demo of Spoon Man instrumental in just, you know, uh, in between, you know, as they, you know, Maybe the worst scenes. Soundgarden song ever. Uh, Spoon to, Man. I have to disagree on that oh, one. Yeah. This, this guy in Seattle, he's homeless, and he plays spoons. And it's literally like the least uh, artistic way to write a song about a guy who plays spoons who's homeless. Because it's like, Spoon Man, come together with your hands. Hey, that's what he does. All right. All right. Uh, we're, apparently Let's... we're going to fight, ladies and gentlemen. I can see Andy Shaw is upset. Uh, I, uh, and it's not easy to no upset someone. Spoon Man. <laughs> I do love the Spoon Man. <laughs> It, he is the epitome of Minnesota nice. So <laughs> you if if you pit, if you piss off Andy Shaw, you have basically invited you know uh, death upon your family. <laughs> and right now, the uh, ten people that know me listening to this are laughing their ass off. So. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, but you're yes. more famous than that. <laughs> There's at least twelve. Yes. Twelve. About seasons. I gotta say, chill, uh, chilling, melancholy. Uh, great guitar work on this, but his voice just kill, he just kills it. You can, especially at this time, you cannot really harshly critique anything that this guy's saying. Right. It pretty much in his whole career, but around this time, this is this is yeah. a plus yes. Cornell vocal time. But um, I remember hearing him say he recorded this on a he recorded this on a four track in his apartment. Now, keep in mind, this is around the time that these little Tascam Porta Studio cassette four tracks were the only way to multi-track at home sure. without some extravagant expense. So, But you know damn well he didn't fucking record this on one of those. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> And that's kind of what he's saying. He's like, And that's very much the, one of the things about alternative and grunge that I didn't like is that like this, it, he, what he's saying is like, oh, this song, oh, this old thing <laughs> that I, you know, uh, set with like a the microphone that that's used uh, to record the guitar cost eight thousand dollars, um, <laughs> but it was done on, on a four track, you know, kind sure. of on the cheap, you know, yeah, it's a four track reel to reel with half inch tape right. or two inch tape, you know what I mean? This wasn't a Maxell cassette, <laughs> exactly. He didn't run down to you know freaking Target and buy a pack <laughs> of cassettes and slip them in there and record this thing, so. Uh, that, that when I read that, I just my eyes rolled so far back in my head <laughs> that it took me about a year to get them unstuck. I had to go to an optometrist. That drives me crazy. That whole like almost turned like, oh, you know, it's no big deal that I'm this fucking amazing kind of attitude shit. But uh, 
That said, not a big fan of the song. It's okay. It's not bad. I, I, I agree with the vocal, but like Chris Cornell could almost do no wrong for me at this time. But looking back and listening to it, I gave it a, a three Doc Martens. Three Doc Martens? I gave it four. All right, fair I, uh, I thought it was a little repetitive, though, and it clocked in at 5 minutes and 45 seconds, which I thought was uh, maybe could have shaved a little. Yeah, yeah, it, well. it, it, it is kind of bloated. I mean, yes. but um, it is great guitar work, though. I oh, mean, yeah. it doesn't, I, I don't think uh, he gets enough credit for just how good of a guitar player he was. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and he was the songwriter in, in, uh, in Soundgarden. He was not the featured guitar player. Yeah. Oftentimes, he was just put up front to sing. All right, up next we have our, our own, our native son. He's still living in Minneapolis. Uh, uh, over by, last I heard, is that he lives not too far. He lives in Edina, kind of near France Avenue and 494. So a couple miles from Mall of America for, for okay. people not familiar with uh, Minneapolis there. So he's probably moved about three miles from where he grew up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're uh, what are like twenty six in Lindale or whatever. Yeah, but uh, God, now we sound like a bunch of New Yorkers. <laughs> Doesn't that happen every time we talk? Like oh, yeah. all of a sudden we we start talking about streets. Well, see, you know, most of the people you're talking with, you know, you got loose cannon out in Denver, mm-hmm. or you're talking to someone from around the country. I'm a guy here in the cities, damn straight Twin cities. So we can uh, we can do the uh, the mini the Minnesota accent, don't you know? Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, have we, some hot dish for sure, and, yeah. Uh, by the way, the hot dish is waiting for you there. Tater tots and a casserole there. Uh, yeah, up next is Paul Westerberg from The Replacements. His first solo um, release material at all. This is Dyslexic Heart. Placement fans have some issues with these two songs on this album, but uh, what do you think those are? They think it's too poppy. Hmm. So you know uh, his sister, Mary Lucia. Oh yeah, from the Cur- well, formerly of the local radio station, The Current, which like is kind most of Westerbergs, a- his sister's last name is Lucia. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, I remember listening to The Current years ago, which is kind of the uh, hipster. Uh, what do you want to call it? I don't know, uh, douchey. No, 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 no. It's uh, it's actually a really cool radio station. Eclectic. Yeah, alternative. Alternative, eclectic, but it's also uh I'm mad they Minnesota fired Brian Oak is, is, is the problem. Yeah, so. But I remember uh, she she played this song once, and when she came out of it, she said, oh, yeah, here's my brother's sellout pop song. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I know replacement fans just thought it was a little too poppy. Okay. But uh, I think Fuck it's em. great. Well, yeah. I mean, this is the guy who wrote Alex Chilton and Can't Hardly Wait. I mean, exactly. Power pop right there. This is Those are far more poppy songs oh, than this. The na-na-na-na's I find totally infectious. You can't yeah. help but and, sing And they along. kept throwing those in the movie. That was like an often, like a scene segue, right? Like, na-na-na-na. Uh, both songs. Yeah. This and... Uh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Actually, that's why it's not on this note. It's on the other song. But yeah. 
Both of his songs has that kind of thing that they, they kept kind of dialing back. It's kind of like scene breaks. Right. Paul writes, he really writes slick pop songs and then records them kind of like with, as this guy who isn't slick. I like it, but I think he could have found greater success writing for others. I don't know that I'd like that personally because then I would lose out on all that replacement stuff that I like. His solo career for me has really been, you know, like a track here and there, almost very similar to Bob Mould. But yeah. but to me, I always go back to to hit the replacements as far as when I really want to hear the core Paul Westerberg stuff. But yes, he really could have. Like this song would be a hit, and, and like those two you mentioned, Alex Chilton, and what was the other one? Uh, Can't hardly wait. Can't hardly wait. I mean, if that was like a freaking Hootie and the Bullfish doing that during this time, <laughs> those would have been giant songs, you know what I mean? Oh, and yeah. he could have been kind of like a, another local guy, uh, Sean Tillman, Harmar Superstar. Sure. Like where he just kind of is behind the scenes writing songs for like Christine Aguilera and that kind of thing. But oh, you know, and the guys... maybe a, a poor man's Max Miller. <laughs> that is for you, Charlie Bonante. What was the, uh, oh God, I'm totally spacing on his name, the uh, semi-sonic guy. What the, it's Wilson write, or something, right? Uh, Dan Wilson. Dan yeah, Wilson. He writes uh, like a ton of Odell, Odell stuff. Yes. Yeah, Odell. he wrote Odell. basically the whole album that broker. Yes. And uh, subsequent albums, I know he's got a hand in as well. So. Yeah. Well, it seemed like, um, <laughs> so here, here's a little insider stuff for you people. Um, Dan Wilson wrote these songs. Gave Adele Corridan credit for things that she really did it right. Uh, kind of common practice. In the Adele, music. oh yeah, it's, it's not not the first time this has happened. Adele blows Madonna. up, sells 19 million billion records, and then suddenly wants a little less to do with Dan Wilson, who basically created her fortune. Now Dan got paid, as far as I know, pretty sure. well too. So I don't think he's sitting at home like going. Oh, woe is me! The very another another example is that girl from Fort on Blondes, uh, yeah, something Perry. Yes, Linda Perry. Linda Perry. She basically uh, Pink's biggest record. She wrote uh, most, I think, Pink's yeah. biggest songs. Okay, yeah. and then uh, but then after a couple records, like Pink stopped using her. Right. Uh, the, the 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 correct example of how to handle these things is to be Janet Jackson. Yes. Go, you guys knew what the hell you were doing when she got with Jimmy Jam and T- Terry Lewis. Yep. And then just basically wrote her entire main <laughs> career out of that. Uh, but no, too many of these people like they they want to like they worry that this shadow is over them yeah. than, more than they realize that people don't give a crap. It's like nobody gives a shit that Dan Wilson wrote your songs, Adele. Right. You do because you think that there's a sub because there's people like you and me going. You didn't write that. <laughs> but nobody gives a the, fuck about what you. We think the ego, yes, yeah. it just gets in the way. So Paul Westbrook could have been. Dan Wilson. Yep. He could have been... Uh, I'm just trying to think Darius Linda Rucker Barry. singing uh, Dyslexic Heart, though. Uh, I don't know. Try to understand it. I got a dyslexic heart. <laughs> and the just, dolphins lose. Just let her cry. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we both suck at uh, Darius Rucker impersonations off well, the Well, that's cuff, a good thing. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I'd know. hate to think I'm a good Darius Rucker impersonator. Oh, you hater. You're a goddamn hater. Yeah, yeah me too. Uh, up next. Oh, wait, wait. Do we do we rate that? I gave this one a solid 3.5 Doc Martens. Dude, got to disagree. I gave it a 5. Wow. Infectious pop songs are always going to kick ass. Yeah, I don't know how world. infectious is. It's like those other two songs you mentioned blow this out of the water. That's why. Maybe maybe I'm judging Paul Westerberg against himself. I think so. you got to look at it in the context of this album, I think. Hmm. 
That's what leads to riots, Andy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and, and the riots lead to looting. Yeah, and living in Minneapolis and St. Paul, respectively, here, we, uh, <laughs> we've seen a little of that lately. Looting leads to me having a two-year supply of blue juice from a car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, up next is track five with the Lovemongers. is from Seattle, but Gruncher's would have revolted on a polished top 40 band having a song on this fucking thing. So <laughs> Anne and Nancy briefly became this unknown artist called the Lovemongers and covered this Zeppelin tune. It's a pretty good performance. You know what? And, and again, we're talking about singing with Chris Grinnell. You cannot argue with, with either one of these two as a singer, yep. but especially Ann Wilson. Yep. I mean, she is just like one of the most identifiable female voices in rock history. Oh, yes. But fuck this. Pointless. <laughs> it was it was a just toss in to like, hey, they're from Seattle too, bullshit. They didn't even really explain it. You know what I mean? It took years to find out. It's like, okay, that sounded an awful lot like heart. You know, doing Zeppelin. Well, but. I think the fact that, you know, Nancy is married to Cameron Crowe at this point. Oh, at, oh at this point At already. this point, yeah, because they married uh, in 86 and didn't separate until the uh, the 2010s, I believe. I have no idea why this was included, except for the fact, like I said, she was married to Cameron Crowe at the time, and they're from Seattle. I think, well, now we know why. Yes, uh, this this version will not make you forget we, about Robert we Plant solved and Zeppelin. The, the mystery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think this is kind of your filler and hey, I need a song. Let's throw this in. Because I don't even remember that well in the movie. I was just going to ask you, does it even come up in the movie? I think it's like 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon for a soundtrack to have a song that isn't in the movie. True. Which doesn't make any damn sense, but um, I gave this... I gave it a goddamn three. Three? I give it a two. It's, yeah, it deserves a one. Yeah. Or why did I give this a three? It's it's a respectable cover, but it's not gonna like I said, it's not gonna make you forget about Led Zeppelin. I hate it more listening <laughs> the fact that we talked about it. <laughs> That's what I needed to do. I needed to flesh it out with you. There you go. And my rating goes from a three to a one. <laughs> Moving along, all right. Oh, the, the, Less said about this, the better. Yeah, fair enough. Side yeah. one, and yeah, because we there are there's a cassette copy of this, so we do have a side oh, one. Oh yeah, ninety two. Yeah. Is uh, Chloe Dancer now? Mother Love Bone. Uh, Actually, Chloe Dancer slash or hyphen Crown, Crown of Thorns. Thorns. Yes, yeah. Gotta get um, the full. Uh, fair enough, because actually Crown of Thorns is more important in the title than Chloe Dancer. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Mother Love Bone, of course. Can you say that again? Eventually, Mother Love Bone did. <laughs> Mother Love Bone, of course, spawned. Uh, 
Yeah, what's up? It's my neighbor Corey. What's uh, important podcasting going on here? Hey, man. No, well, not no, live. No. no, this will be edited. What's up? Cool. This is cool. I can get my other beer. Uh, are you gonna come out in your suit of armor? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Was it custom made? I gotta see this. You know, who hasn't bought a suit of armor out of Impulse? <laughs> oh, I love it. I'll be right back. I'm gonna use the rest. Side one closes out because this was during the cassette era. There is a side one and two on it. Uh, closes out with Chloe Dancer's Crown of Thorns from Mother Love Bone. It's a broken kind of feeling. She'd have to time it to the ceiling. A bad moon's a coming, better say your prayers, child. I wanna tell you that I love you, but does it really matter? I just can't stand to see you dragging down again, again. Jeff Ament and uh, Stone and Stone went on to uh, Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Well, McCready wasn't in Mother Love Bone. No. And of course, Andrew Wood was not in Pearl Jam, and that leaves the drummer. So yeah, the two of them also came out of Green River. Yes, it's that in uh, incestuous Seattle band. Yeah. Thing. Well, uh, they clearly had a connection. Yes. Uh, but so they, yeah, they would go on to greater fame with Pearl Jam. Um, I think we talked about it. I don't think it was you and I. It might have been me and John Lamoureux. With that, I, I think we look at Mother Love Bone um, through rose-colored hindsight glasses. I, I don't think they were the next big thing. They were not Pearl Jam widespread friendly as far as their music. And I absolutely love their entire catalog. Oh, so okay. uh, I, when I say that, I'm saying I understand. But I also understand why Slayer isn't on Top 40 radio, <laughs> and I love Slayer. So yeah. I just think sometimes people, especially when this blew up, everybody wanted to be the person that knew of Mother Love Bone. Sure. And that was a big part of the alternative things, too, is like, oh, you've never heard this before. That was a big part of this scene. Oh, which, big time. So as much as I've, I've embraced all this grunge stuff, we I really haven't dove into the sellout like poser shit that fucking just permeated this kind of crap and and, and that that mentality that like oh you just heard about mother love bone dude i was rocking them in 86 what are you talking yeah, about come before on the, when they were called green river that's right uh but no uh mother love bone i think um man they uh they're basically their entire catalog is one on one anthology it's like a two disc thing that i have yeah so it's it's their ep and their full-length album 
that they, they actually released. But they had the full length came out right after Andrew would uh, out, mm-hmm. overdose. And as great as I think it is, there is no way that it was going to be this like juggernaut that Pearl Jam has turned into. Right. And it might have been a band that's that, the, that, that sustained still. That's the Shine album. Shine's Shine the EP, the Apple's the album. Yes. All right. and, and it's kind of a bummer to me that, that that didn't crack the top 25. If I could slide something in there that I really would have a passion to talk about, it would be that. This is a great tune, but I'm probably deservedly going to get shredded a little bit but I prefer the yeah. Pearl Jam live version that oh. shows up on the Pearl Jam 20 record with Eddie singing. I used to treat you like a lady. Now you're my substitute teacher. This bottle's not a pretty, not a pretty side. I owe the man some money, so I'm turning over, honey. I'm Mr. Fader. It, 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 and I love this version. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to lose either one. I'm not trying okay. to replace one, but if I'm picking one, I go back to that Eddie uh-huh. Vedder live version, recorded by the way on my birthday, October 22nd. <laughs> um, well, it's in Las be Vegas. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think it's great. And uh, one, one, one note that, that relates to the movie. Uh, should we mention is that like the font that Mother Love Bone uses basically the the Citizen Dick font yes. throughout the movie. So yes. it's a it's a great song. I didn't realize that Chloe the Chloe dancer part of it was written about his girlfriend becoming a stripper and then hmm. she quits after an hour. <laughs> that was what I learned in my research of hmm, this nice. song. I, uh, I learned something too. Then there Just we to, go. So hopefully we give something to our listeners too. That's right. Uh, and then the crown of thorns is, you know, talking about a relationship being ruined by drug uh, addiction. It is amazing Deep how many in, of these artists yeah. that, um, God, they would write lyrics that would suggest they were smarter, <laughs> uh, or at least smart enough yeah. to avoid the fate they did. Yeah. Like how self-aware they were at what was happening to them, and they were so willing to put that into their art, yeah. but also at the same time succumb. To the fate that they predicted for themselves. Yeah, I know it's sad. Look at how many of these guys are dead now? Well, yeah, well, you got uh, Andrew Wood, and, uh, Cornell, St- Lynn, Lane Staley, uh, Kurt Cobain. Uh, well, he's not on the soundtrack, but Stone yeah, Temple, yeah, same thing. Yep. Oh, I was just I was yeah, I was talking from the grunge, scene, but yep. uh, no, uh, no. Billy Corgan, he's been dead for a long time. <laughs> if you want to go from the soundtrack, oh, Jimi Hendrix. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he was doing it. He was showing them all how to do it. Yeah, Billy. <laughs> Love you, Billy. Hey, you know what? Love you, Billy Hardaway. It's been a long time since I threw that in an episode. There you go. 
All right, so we finished side one. Let's oh, get into. What do you give Chloe to answer? Oh, absolutely. Well, five, five point five for the oh. Pearl Jam version. Oh shit! Suck it, haters. <laughs> I give it a five as well. It's uh, it's a very haunting song that you just mm. can't uh, can't deny its greatness. It's all who you know. Yeah, man, it's just the, the lyrics. The man when that. When that the song builds up and then when it's like dun, 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 like a crown of thorns, yep. oh my god, it is just you're in the thick of it then, and that's just it's it's just some really masterful songwriting um, from a very unique perspective, I guess. Yes, it, it, you don't hear that kind of it, it was it, who's he. Who's he aping? You know what I mean? Right. You're not ripping off anything with that thing there. So, Only thing I got to say, though, uh, 8 minutes and 20 seconds. That's where you get your 63 minutes of an album here with 13 tracks. Yeah, I suppose. But uh, that's why there's only six songs on side one and seven on side two. There you go. All right. Well, let's get into the movie a little bit. Andy, uh, you, you uh, definitely talked to me about this before we got going here, yep. that you wanted to get into some movie talk on this. Basically, it was Cameron Crowe was living in L.A. in the mid-'80s, and he just kind of got sick of the whole L.A. musician scene because he's like, here's all these you know dicks like uh, Motley Crue citizen and Poison. Dicks. Yeah, citizen dicks. Uh, that are living off their girlfriends. They're sleeping until noon, and then they're going to go play the whiskey or something till uh, 3 a.m. And he moved, or he married uh, Nancy Wilson, went up to Seattle and discovered that scene. And, you know, he'd meet all these guys from, well, what turned out to be Pearl Jam eventually. Yeah. And they were working, you know, their little coffee shop jobs trying to, you know, get enough money to scrap together to go out and record. And So uh, he knew these guys before he was writing the script. Yes, yes. I think he's known him since the late 80s, so 89-ish. Just oh, so if he was living there, he, he was experiencing this scene along like what Bruce Pravitt was describing. Yes, exactly. So he he got immersed into the culture and then created this you know little romantic comedy that just kind of, like you said, just kind of was, was a romantic comedy, but then the environment that it was set in was this grunge Seattle scene. Are you a rom-com guy, Andy? Uh, I do love me uh, some Harry Met Sally when Harry Met Sally. Okay. Uh, Got to go with the all-time classic 16 Candles. That counts, huh? Yeah, well, that's a rom-com. God, there's so much bronzy shit in that, though. <laughs> yes, yes, there is. I did like it at the time, though, but largely because of like the connection to the Seattle scene yep. and how much I, I enjoyed being part of that grunge movement. But Sure. Oh. You know, what's interesting is once the movie came out, it only did... Uh, 18 million in box office. That's modest. Uh, very modest. But what happened was the TV producers wanted to create a show about it. And I guess Cameron Crowe was slow to respond. And eventually a, a group of producers came and started a show that was similar to it called Friends. Mm. Come on. Yes. There is nothing less grunge than Friends. <laughs> you are correct. I always kind of got a Melrose Place vibe because, you know, you had the little apartment building complex where everyone lived. And, okay. You know, you kind of had Yeah, the but dating. everybody there was like they had way more money than they, oh, I guess, Friends did too. Yeah. This movie seemed to like the where people lived seemed to represent the job they had. Yes. Um, where Friends doesn't, where Mel- Mel- Melrose Place doesn't. I would like to think that, like, um, uh, Cameron Crowe, and I don't know if this is true, but I just want it to be. Okay. I, I just want more no on principle. Like, I want Bill Murray to go, no, 
to Ghostbusters reboots. <laughs> I, I I want that. You know yes. what I mean? I want people that can actually stop these things to go, this is a horrible idea, yeah. and I'm saying no because that sucks. And what I did didn't suck, so you don't get to suck up what I did. You know, so... I'm trying to think of a good movie example of that, and I can't come up with a good example off the top of my head here. Shit. They never did a sequel to Beer Fest. Typical Americans. This is why we don't allow you on our beer fest. Yeah. <laughs> you get a few drinks and your unju becomes a dirty Hey, yeah. yeah. You should go back to your strip malls and drink your Zimas and smear off ice. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can punch each other silly. Okay. 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 Sounds like, sounds like you guys fancy yourself drinkers, huh? Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. I think we just beat the Irish. So. One thing I learned about, like I said, since it was reco- uh, filmed in 91, and then they basically you know, let it sit on the shelf, by the time Nirvana got big, they were thinking about calling it the movie Come As You Are to kind of cash in on the Nirvana vibe. Mm. Uh, but luckily, uh, cooler heads prevailed, and they're like... Really? Yeah. I like that name better. <laughs> I like it better. Yeah. Come as you are. There you go. No, you're right. This would have been... Um, now, that would have been a money ploy sell-out. You know what? It probably would have done $10 million more in ticket sales. Yeah. And it would not be revered by people like you and I. True. And it is a kind of an interesting thing because uh, the DVD box and the poster and everything had uh, Matt Dillon and Bridget Fonda on it. Right. Uh, but it wasn't really their movie. I think more of the Campbell Scott and Kira Sedwick are the main like that. characters. Yeah. But they weren't the box office draws. Campbell Scott, by the way, fresh off of banging Julia Roberts for about a year. Oh, Because yeah. he was in... Uh, Dying Young. Dying, Dying Young was Young. the movie. Okay. Um, yeah, Just Dying Young was a, one of those tragically uh, depressing movies where he got skinny and bald and Julia Roberts hung on to him. And, yeah, so they dated for a while after that. But uh, uh, good on you, man. Um, That's right. Uh, good looking guy. Horrible actor. Uh, Son of George C. Scott. Oh well, that explains how he gets into gets his work. There you go. It's not based on talent. Uh, <laughs> you are correct, sir. He's okay. Uh, yeah, it says I, Bill Pullman was in the movie. I don't recall his character. Bill Pullman was the uh, the plastic surgeon who was oh, going to give Bridget Fonda her breast uh, large. That's right. Okay. Uh, yeah, and Bridget Fonda, um, I think a fairly underrated actress. She kind of has one kind of thing, but she did. She was cute in this movie. She was. She. What uh, was the other one that uh, with the wings guy in it, where she had the psycho roommate from a uh, uh, single white female? Yeah, single white and female. She was in Doc Hollywood. So from like ninety one to about ninety five, she was kind of that. You know, she was the it girl. It girl. Oh, and then yeah. uh, for what, I know I'd gone on Wikipedia and said she got into a bad car accident about mm. uh, fifteen years ago, and that's about when her work stopped. So I don't. And she also married Danny Elfman. From Oingo Boingo oh, and bad. Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. Simpsons music. It was all downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's about when she quit her acting career or gave it up or whatever. So. All right, fair enough. Uh, and Kira and, Sedwick married Kevin Bacon. Is this Jane Fonda's niece? Yes, because she is uh, uh, the Easy Rider guy. Uh, uh, Peter Fonda? Peter Fonda, yeah. That's his daughter. Wow, we're getting into all sorts of kind of spy, uh, a web of uh, movie crap here. You. Uh, you know what, uh, Jane Fonda, you, when she gets herself done up in makeup still? Probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've seen her on the Netflix show. Uh, yeah, Frankie my wife and... loves that show. I was like, I'm kind of amazed. But there's that one episode where she like whips off her, her wig and all of her makeup, and it's like, okay, now you do look 80. Oh, 
Check it out. Okay. I watched the first couple seasons, and it was a pretty good show. I like the movie. Like you, I also did not see it in the there theater. Um, but uh, we, we rented it on the way home, probably after work one night. It was definitely something I wanted to see because, I it was like you said, we knew about it. It was definitely oh. hyped. And it was covered by our kind of scene with MTV and stuff like that. Back when people our age actually watched MTV for almost cultural significance. Exactly. You know what I mean? Instead of like to find out how young someone got pregnant. Um, <laughs> or catfished. There we go. That one's for LC. I had to watch the uh, the MTV News with uh, Tabitha Soren and Kurt mm. Loder. I did not like Tabitha, Tabitha or Kurt Loder. Really? Yeah, who is... Oh, God. He just turned 75 uh, a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I didn't realize he was that old back in the day. Oh, I did. Okay. I was like, you know, it's like one of those things like, this, doesn't this make you feel old? And that came up and was like, nope, because he was... I thought he was like 60 when he was on MTV. So <laughs> I, I, I'm... Feel young because he's still alive. There you go. But uh, God, there was uh, there was one of the news girls that uh, that uh, connected with me. <laughs> uh, Allison Stewart. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, she went on to like work on the Daily Show, and uh, and then eventually uh, MSNBC. She oh. filled in um, for uh, oh, who's it? Keith Oberman? Okay, on a couple shows, but I did not know that. Um, but yeah, she. Uh, she got Baco through a couple of tough nights. So, <laughs> so that wraps up kind of our movie talk here. Like I said, I think this uh, kind of gets lost in the shuffle of the uh, movies of this era. It's not, like I said, it's not available on any of the streaming, Hulu mm-hmm. or Netflix. Uh, I had to go out and buy a 20-year-old copy yeah. <laughs> used DVD of it. That's a lot about like what grunge is to a, to a certain extent. You know, Definitely in podcasting, it feels yeah. like this one ch- giant chunk of music history that is like really ignored. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, the seventies and eighties, there's kiss. There's, are there kiss podcasts out there? There's a couple at least, okay. but, okay. uh, I feel it's probably going to come around like anything. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I think the, the, one of the big problems grunge has, and this is kind of a, a weird way to look at it, but like, you know how easy it is for a band like, Oh, I don't know. Bang tango who had one hit, <laughs> To to join a bunch of bands like them yeah. with a fractured lineup and just do that for the next 20 years, yeah. I think it's harder for grunge bands to commit to do that kind of thing. Like, unless you were big, like yeah. Alice in Chains can, can kind of go on and be Alice in Chains because they're big enough. I'm yeah. talking about that next level where yeah. down, where like the faster pussycats and stuff of that nature, it's easier for them to have a career than I think it is for like... Uh, I don't know if there are any bands on here. Like Candlebox uh, can go. Candlebox, on. that's what I'm talking about. I actually <laughs> yeah. saw Candlebox at an '80s fest. Oh wow! You know, and it was of course a fractured lineup, like all the other '80s bands right. are. I'm just saying because their music was so dark and serious, and and a big part of what they were was to be young and committed to to this one vision. Sure. Were I mean, honestly, like if you were whipping your your fucking top off and showing your tits at 19, you have raised kids who are now in high school yeah. and you're in your 40s you go I want to go back and wear a shirt that says I fucked Brett Michaels at a, at a, you know <laughs> and get drunk for a weekend at a casino where yeah. I don't think there's that audience for grunge that it was like well yeah, yeah. I mean I you know I, I smoked a lot of heroin and got depressed and and I wrote a lot of poems um, and <laughs> I then I had a lot kids of zines. yeah I want to go back and relive that it's difficult to relive this kind of youth you know what I mean it's yeah. easy to relive the like party youth and just not party quite as hard True. but it's hard to go back and like 
man, wasn't it great being depressed and dressing like you didn't care? Yeah. You know, so I think that's a big part of it is that, like, you know, there really is no fashionable way to bring grunge back from the people who lived it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's not like I you mean, have... even uh... fucking Backstreet Boys, like, reunited. <laughs> and it's like, these guys are 50 doing, like, these dumb dances. I'm like, who wants to see this? But apparently some people do. They got their own crews. Uh, so that might be part of it. But, yeah, I think it's a good point that this movie probably, uh, I don't know, deserves a little more reverence than it gets right now. Yes. Definitely, uh, if you were of the time, you know it and you love it. Nice. This movie didn't really blow up on DVD or uh, cable or... Although, the soundtrack... Double platinum. Soundtrack is double platinum, and I, I, I have a theory that I'm going to get into it, one of these songs oh, okay. on that. But uh, let's start with side two. Yep. You flip the cassette. That you, you fast forward to, wait, no, this one, because uh, side one is so long, Yeah. Uh, yeah you don't have to fast forward. You just flip it around. Sure. Uh, but it opens up with the Soundgarden track, Birth Ritual. Yes. Nice. I love it. Uh, from the minute the song starts, it's that I mean, it pulls you in. It's got the drums. It's got guitars. Cornell. How does how does a human sing like that? I mean, <laughs> compared to seasons, to this. I mean, the voice. Uh, I guess. Yeah. You know, he just uh, it just sucks me in. I'm I'm down with birth ritual. Unlike John Lamoureux. Who is not a big fan? I believe. I think he said that on your uh, oh, Soundgarden in general. Oh, well, screaming! He, yeah, yeah screaming he, he doesn't like that high pitched singing as much as uh, you and I might. Yeah, uh, love it. Uh, it just sucks. Um, well, let me ask you this: Were you yeah. a, were you a Soundgarden fan prior? Uh, got in with the Bad Motorfinger album. Okay. Uh, it just uh, sucks. Outshined. So still big, uh, like was uh, that was it? I'm not diehard, okay. but uh, uh, it just sucks. and then like I think I talked about on the Melvins episode. I saw them open for Guns N' Roses in '92 yeah, yeah. here in Minneapolis. Uh, the tour before the Metallica. G- or is uh, uh, what's his name? Oh fuck! Uh, Aaron Baker would say Minneapolis. Minneapolis. <laughs> Min- Minneapolis. Oh, Minneapolis! You know, man. The, I, if he hears this and he thinks I'm picking on him, uh, he has such a good heart, and, and, and he has definitely got the right direction. He does his own podcast called the Bakery Podcast. Okay. Uh, but he uh, he did a show about like a lot of the riots and. And he kept calling Minneapolis, Minneapolis. The first time I, I thought it was just like, you know, like, you know, one of those things that I do it all the damn time. Sure. But uh, God bless you, Aaron. Keep it up. Uh, How does uh, Stephen Michael say Minneapolis? There's too many syllables in that word for Stephen Michael. <laughs> hey, Baco. <laughs> I, lo- I love his accent, though. Yeah, I love Steven. Uh, Great guy. His accent, not so much. Um, but uh, <laughs> Duh, it just sucks. Love you, Steven. Um, this song's okay. It sounds unfinished. 
Unfinished. Uh, if, yeah, yeah, honestly, it's, it sounds like a track that they recorded. And like, okay, now we have to do all that stuff to make it pretty sounding, and they didn't do it. Okay. Um, and if I'm in the mood for Soundgarden, this ain't where I'm going. But really? it's not a bad wow. song. Uh, 3.5, Doc Martens. 3.5. I gave it a 5. And uh, in the movie, this is one of the uh, scenes where they're in the club, and uh, Soundgarden's rocking out, and Cornell, you know, he's comes in he's uh he's shirtless he's got the hair going he's oh, crowd surfing yeah uh, i'm sorry uh, where was i yeah, shirtless and yeah, he's, uh, hair he's just a in the chunk area. of man meat <laughs> uh you shouldn't be that talented and that good looking i know son of a bitch Unreal. got it all everything yeah. sadly gone yeah again no, this is forgotten. this song uh just makes you uh, you know, wish he was still around because uh, he could rock out man i loved and was pissed in in a sentence sense because it didn't show up on the soundtrack, but you don't need you really didn't need it with everything on here. But um, I loved Allison Chains playing "It Ain't Like That." Yes, um, that, yes. That. Anyway, but which um, is weird because I th- when I rewatched it, I noticed they play they showed more of uh, "It's Like That." It ain't like that. It ain't like that. Thank you. Uh, they showed more of that uh, footage in the club than would. Well, up next is uh, State of Love and Trust. Pearl Jam, I should say. And this was actually recorded for MTV Unplugged in March of 1992. MTV aired it the following May. So this this track, specifically for you know this movie, was actually already out there yep. for public consumption. So um, I dig it a lot. Um, this is much better than Breathe. Uh, this is a song I wouldn't mind seeing them play live. Sure. It, it is a track that I would go back to and check out. Um, uh, yeah, so I had found out that Eddie wrote the uh, lyrics based on the film. Hmm. So they had seen the film, or a rough cut, and uh, I think it was recorded at the same time as Great Breathe. band. Underrated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, rough cut. Per- oh, Pearl Jam? Rough cut. Rough cut? Rough cut. Rough cut. Rough cut. Rough cut. Underrated. Anyway, now that's for Wally Gator and uh, the Meister. <laughs> and maybe Chris Sinzak. I don't know. I haven't got a thoughts on rough cut yet. Rough cut. Oh, boy. Right, time for a rough cut. Andy Shaw. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yes, great song. Uh, again, they used it for maybe about a minute in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the club scenes. Well, but, let's uh, be fair. I mean, most soundtracks they don't. Other than like a movie like Devil's Rejects, where if you haven't seen it, there's a scene yeah. at the end of the movie where they start playing Freebird. Okay. And they play. You know how long that song is, right? It's like seven and a half minutes. Yeah. And there's a. It's a a slow moving moment with one side and another side approaching each other and doing this thing, right? And you know damn well by about. When the fact that they get to the second verse, you're like, "This, there's, they're not going to be shooting guns and blowing shit up <laughs> until that guitar solo kicks in." And it's like, and and um, the singer's like, "Oh, I can't change 
won't you fly so they that's one of the few movie times where it's like it kind of works that they play damn near the whole song so but back to the, the yeah. original point was that like yeah it's it's pretty common that like you might get five seconds right of a song you know it's not necessarily a key moment a minute's pretty good yeah uh would you rate it you i gave this a solid four um, uh, like I said, I, I dig it a lot. Um, I'm actually glad it's on here, though, and not on a Pearl Jam record, because I wouldn't I wouldn't put this on anything ahead of 10 yep. or verses. I like the fact that I have this song, but it's not on one of those two records, because if it meant cutting a track off one of those, I wouldn't want it. Good point. Good point. Yeah, it's an in-betweener. Yeah. yeah. It was to whet the appetite. Yeah, I gave it a solid four as well. Uh, nice. Awesome track. Uh, can't go wrong with Pearl Jam here especially in this era. Exactly. So. Well, after that, we have Overblown from Mud Honey. Everybody loves us. Everybody loves our town. That's why I'm thinking lately. Don't believe in it now. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. It's so overblown. To me, Mud Honey is like the the grunge version of the band Black and Blue. Uh, they the diehard they get so much praise, and they're always referred to as underrated and how they they're just the epitome of all this stuff. But I've never heard a single thing from them that backed <laughs> it up. And sure. I like Black and Blue, and I like Mud Honey. Yep. But I again perfectly rated. I understand why they didn't become Nirvana, sure, or 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 Alice in Chains or Soundgarden or Pearl Jam. This to me is a pretty much an MC5 song, which is not a <laughs> not a, a a bad thing. I think it's yeah. a, a pretty fun tune. Um, if you want my rating right now, because uh, I don't have much more to say about it, I gave it a three point five because I think it's a decent track. Uh, I'd go with the three point five as well. Uh, yeah, you gotta love this uh, the song. It starts off, it's kicking ass, and then it's got those lines where everyone loves our town. Yeah, which was used as the uh, name of the book that I read. That was the oral history of the Seattle Grunge nice. Sound, where I learned about all these. Yeah, bands. you recommended I read that, and I still haven't. <laughs> I think it's a couple of the recommendations I've given you, and you've uh, you haven't taken me up on. Not yet. There was one the other bench. one. You uh, what the, the Jennifer Tryon? Yeah, there we go. Uh, book, uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, Once I learn how to read, those are the <laughs> first two. Uh, this might take a while. Uh, Trump twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mud Honey though does help contribute to this album or this movie because they had the song "Touch Me I'm Sick," which then we turn into "Touch Me I'm Dick" mm-hmm. by Citizen Dick, which was the uh, parody of it. So exactly. But yes, I agree. Uh, Mark Arm uh, doesn't really give you a lot to, you know, distinguish who he is or uh, has a sound. All right, coming up next is another Paul Westerberg track. Um, yeah. This is this is the one that actually gets used a lot more, right? Correct. Uh, the ha. This is actually the opening credit song, and then it's used. Uh, different versions of it are used. But that the little movie. part where he kind of does that thing, like ha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. That's the other one is. This yes. one is like. That's, and that's one of the things. So he's kind of a one-trick pony if you think about it. Well, that's what some of the replacement fans think about uh, uh, the soundtrack. Yeah, they go, well, they had two songs. All my life, waiting for somebody. I 
kind of interchangeable a little bit, you know. I will say this. It felt like, um, and maybe this this has a lot to do with probably more insider connections, right? Kind of like uh, uh, Nancy Wilson um, getting in a soundtrack because she fucks her husband. Hopefully. Um, yeah, well, maybe at the time anyway. <laughs> Um, but uh, Paul Westerberg probably got grandfathered into this with the idea that like the replacements were definitely pivotal as far as influence in the whole grunge scene. Sure. Um, and I think uh, with the replacements breaking up shortly before this, and him having this opportunity to do like some solo stuff for the first time, it's more of that. Like it, it doesn't seem like it was necessarily needed for this stuff. But these are two kind of catchy, like I said, good pop songs. I think he could have made a way more money just sitting at his home in in edina yep you know walking up to get cigarettes at the local you know speedway (laughs) and uh writing songs for for people but uh because his delivery of these songs is what i like yeah but it's not what people like right you can and i don't remember these really being played on the radio no these songs in particular but any any of his stuff Oh, yeah. You know, I'm just describing him as an artist. It's like, I actually really enjoy the way he sings, and I, I love his snark yep. and the sarcasm and, yeah. and just that, that Minnesota kind of like, you know, you can you, there's very much a symmetry between the attitude of lifestyles between Minnesota and, and Seattle. Oh, yeah. You know, it, which so. they kind of like, you know, <laughs> almost like... Uh, sarcastic depression you know and <laughs> we're trapped in our homes for yeah. way too many months compared to yeah LA and, and it just it, it when it comes out in art it, it can be beautiful but I, I do think he just had a natural hook for melody and yep. music and just telling almost like almost beautifully devoid stories lyrically that were easily connectable almost like the song by the Eagles, Life in the Fast Lane, you know how that's like a kind of a catchphrase now? That didn't exist before they wrote that. Hmm. He is brilliant at that kind of like lyrical thing. Hmm. You know? Interesting, yeah. Uh, where are you on the replacements as far as... Oh, uh, shit, a huge. Are you on a scale of 1 to 10, you're an 11? Yeah, probably 9. 9? Okay. Yeah, I, th- there are people who are way bigger fans than I th- th- and, and know them deeper, you know what I mean? Yep. I mean, they made it onto Saturday Night Live and fucked that up. They got, you know, kicked off Saturday Night Brilliant, by the way. If anybody has never watched that, um, <laughs> first of all, yeah, they're a band from Saturday Night Live yeah. after that. But watch the closing credits. You can find it on YouTube. The closing credits of the replacements on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. When you just watch, just watch the band and watch how they were treated by the ca- Like, basically everybody. <laughs> they were basically like outcasts. Like, well, it's their thing. but Yeah, yeah. so they, they never quite made it. But you know, on the cred cred scale, you know, they're through yeah, the roof. It's all influence with them. Yeah, like if they ever get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's purely on influence. Man, we are <laughs> we are tangent heavy tonight, um, which is actually kind of my cup of tea. There we go. Uh, all right, so uh, we Waiting left for off. somebody. Oh, wait. so what do you rate it? Yeah, what did I give it a rating? I give it a three. Uh, three uh, Doc Martens. I go five again with the Westerberg stuff. It's How about just... three cigarettes put out in a cup of Starbucks coffee? <laughs> I give it, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think, Seattle Seahawks now. I give it five uh, Bill Gates. Five Bill Gates, sorry. Five Bill Gates. Uh, just the power poppiness of it just Five Windows 95. Windows 95. <laughs> <laughs> the ah-ah-ahs just take me in. So uh, next song up is uh, May This Be Loved by Jimi Hendrix and the Experience. 
It's a ballad, and when I want to listen to Jimi Hendrix, I want to hear the balls to the walls rocking out. I want Foxy Lady. I want Fire. Uh, you know, that's the Jimi Hendrix I want. You know, Hey Joe. Uh, this just kind of takes it back. He's on, you know, chill mode. And uh, it just doesn't, uh, doesn't do the same for me as the songs I named before. This is pandering. <laughs> this is tossing in Jimmy because of his loose connection with Seattle. Sure. Uh, and don't get me wrong, the guy was born there and grew up there. Yep. But nobody thinks of Seattle right. when they think of Jim. Oh, Jimmy Hendrix. You mean the guy from Seattle? <laughs> this is this is worse than than Hart renaming themselves. Uh, <laughs> here's my notes. Literally, yes. look at it right there. Okay. I'm asleep. Yeah. Is this even in the movie? I don't recall. Uh, it was when uh, Campbell Scott and Kira Sedgwick are at his apartment and they're just kind of talking. Uh, you know, oh, is it the ready. scene? Is it the scene where they're like, hey, let's play some music and then they yes. fall asleep once it starts playing? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> to me, this is just. Uh, this is the historic part. Yeah. My rating? I've never gotten nothing, nothing lower than a one. Yeah. And that was only recently when I changed to three to a one. Okay. <laughs> On this episode. On this episode, yes. This gets less than one. Less Flat than... out fucking zero. Wow. Why did they put this on here? This is stupid. This song sucks. This sucks for Hendrix. This is the, This is not good Hendrix. This is not good for the movie. This is, in no way is good. This is just like, I bet you never heard this Hendrix song, yeah. which is another bullshit part of the whole yes. run. Yes. Alternative thing like, oh... Yeah, you're the one of those guys that only knows Foxy Lady. Have you ever heard <laughs> Waiting for Somebody? Of course I haven't. Or not. I'm saying, have you ever heard May This Be Love? Of right. course I haven't. Right. Why would anybody ever know this song? Uh, it is on the Are You Experienced you know, you know debut what? album. You know who the song? Yeah. Jimi Hendrix doesn't remember the song. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix well, heard it. today. And then two minutes later, he after he recorded, he's like, Jimmy, what do you think of your song, May This Be Love? And he's like, what? I don't know that song. <laughs> It's such a forgettable Henderson. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, compared to the rest of his catalog, it's this trying is a, too this hard. Is a it insists upon itself, Andy. Yes. It insists upon itself. Pandering. Pandering. Motherfucking Cameron Crowe. <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> you love. You, uh, let me ask you this: In your yeah. day-to-day life, are you able to even think the phrase "motherfucker" without going to Craig Smith immediately saying it right after you? Uh, I hear, I hear his voice in my head, yeah, and actually, like, I. Uh, your head I, goes. I recently did a uh, Pods and Sods episode, and uh, in the episode, Craig busts out the that motherfucker, and I was going to start losing my shit, uh, and luckily I just kind of muted myself for a second to let uh, the laughter out, because he just, he just did it in his normal uh, right yeah. normal course of uh, well, it's Well, it's him. You motherfucker. Oh, yeah. But yes, that's in the back of my head now whenever I hear that. So back to your thoughts on uh, May This Be Loved by Jimi Hendrix. Uh, I give it a two. Wow, it's Hendrix. So that's it's too it, too many. <laughs> you got to give him some love, but there uh, is so much music that guy recorded that, like, basically, it's like turning a fuck press record and throw a guitar in his hand. Yeah, and let's just record this shit. Uh, and th- th- I get so much crap from Hendrix fans. 
Right. This guy did not fucking walk on water unless it was fucking frozen. So, uh, <laughs> which I also can do as a, as a Minnesotan, you know as well. Uh, for the months of uh, is it all about bugs December sucking th- into your mouth? Yeah, over there? Yeah. yeah. The second bug uh, is going down my mouth. Uh, yes, the in Minnesota, the months of December through February, you can walk in any water you want in the state. Yeah, so that makes us as good as that guy named Jesus. There we go. We walk in Ooh. water when it freezes. <laughs> anyway, uh, not my joke, but anyway, let's get on to the next track. Um, yes. This song, I think, sold, you said about 2 million copies? This album, 2 million copies, yes, sir. This is responsible for 1 million of them. This is a perfect song, and that is The Screaming Trees with Nearly Lost You. song it's kind of uh <laughs> well for being a seattle guy i sucked in a bug oh. for being uh from seattle the screaming trees uh this is a little grunge light for me mm. and a little poppy you know we talked this about is kind of like the the precursor to post grunge yes. like with uh, the matchbox 20s yes eve sixes that kind of thing good yes. point Clean vocals, too, which is rare for a grunge. Uh, cleanish. Cleanish. You can hear Mark Lanigan. Am I pronouncing that right? Lanigan. Lanigan. Um, He's got a very baritone uh, voice. If you get yeah, get it good. I'm at, I've never done this. I nearly lost We're grooving now in yeah, Papa's backyard. Uh, so, yeah, it's a little poppy compared to the rest Gelati. of the Seattle, Seattle bands uh, on here. Um, but yeah, yeah this is my exposure song. to them, by the way, and uh, a little bit similar to their other song off of uh, Sweet Oblivion uh, Dollar Bill, which was the other big. Oh man, I, I can't go deep on that record, although it's coming up, so I will be able to soon. So, okay. uh, although I, I do say this, I think is it like the Limp Biscuit song, Dollar Bill, y'all? <laughs> uh, what is it? It's Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog? Uh, that's a later what? record, you rube. Uh, Yes, uh, Toomey's so pissed at you right now. <laughs> so, so I think the uh, the inclusion here of "Nearly Lost You" on the single soundtrack kind of hurt them, because "Sweet Oblivion" only sold three hundred thousand copies. I had the same cop, the same point. Yeah. It's like I actually think that like this probably helped this record more than it did them. Right, but I think it raised their profile. Uh, it, in a weird way, it hurt them. Like because like it turned them into a one hit wonder. Yeah, that record is actually really good. Okay. Um, and I can't wait for the episode. This album front to back is great. Sweet Oblivion, you're talking about. Yep. Which the song also appears on, but it did more for this soundtrack, and it turned them into this like kind of like thing that wouldn't really be able to break out of that. Sure. I mean, it was a really cool video, 
Um, and just a great, I mean, just, don't you miss, like, when, like, a pop song could also rock? Yes. And just have kind of a rawness to it. And totally. That, that, that's something that grunge brought. Like, with, with they started with Nevermind. Nevermind is a very poppy record, but th- th- there's no loss of edge to that music. Sure. And this song kind of follows that suit. And you know, the Pumpkins do, too, yeah. just coming up here. But all those bands, it's like they were able to, like, deliver these songs that people could relate to and resonate with that also would only be those people that are like, oh, I love Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and that's a hard thing to do, especially now. Yes. Now it's like you never really get that. Even when bands do it, like I think Red Sun Rising is a band that, that, that when they were still together did that. Yeah. Bad Flower, I think, is a group that does that right now. Hmm. Um, these are kind of up-and-coming bands. And um, and yet they're not really given that voice that 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 outlier as much as they might have some success they're never going to get that opportunity because this is a song that is just perfect and i hear current bands do this kind of stuff but we're so stuck in this idea that like well it has to be homogenized <laughs> and, and broken down it's like we have we we basically call like well here's a here's a pop song but i'm gonna sing like this therefore it's country right well it's really not it's just basically a country song sung by i mean with an uh, accent. W- was the Clash uh, punk because they, they sang with a cockney? <laughs> or were they just a band? They were a rock band, as yeah, far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I get you there with the Clash. Yeah, they were a rock band. They... Sorry, Lamarill. Clash sucks balls. Uh, train in vain? Come on. And apparently uh, um, uh, Andy Shaw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but nearly lost you, man. I give this one... This, this this is five, I I this is a double edged Starbucks gift card, because <laughs> it 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 put them in the in the the conversation yep. and then it also made sure that they would never be more than this track. Yeah, I, I give because it because it's on the soundtrack and yeah. because it became big and it sold half of the copies of this fucking right. soundtrack. Uh, I give it a solid four. Well, as you know, I subsidize my life by printing. Which is on paper, right? I think right? I've heard that, yes. Yeah. Um, so I had this idea for a concert called Paper Fest. Okay. And Screaming Trees was going to be the headliner. Because of the paper tree connection? Yeah. Okay, uh, I, I, I'm down with that. I'm down with that. You, can't, can't, you got to get up early to get something by Andy Shaw. Yes, you do. Don't you know? Oh, don't you know. All right. Well, mercifully, the record closes with a Smashing Pumpkins tune, Drown. This song, um, just a sleepy closer. I actually forgot it was on here. I gave this one a zero too. A zero. Yep. Wow. I, uh, I I I I love the pumpkins and I love this era of the pumpkins especially. Yeah. I don't ever want to hear this song again. <laughs> it's probably a good closer because it should be played over credits when people leave. <laughs> 
eight minutes and 17 seconds. Yeah, again. I would never have got that far into it. Yeah. I, like, I, again, it just uh, with Mother Love Bone on here, you know, you're killing me with these eight-minute songs. Well, here's the, the second part of that. So eight minutes and 17 seconds. The last two and a half minutes is just goddamn feedback. Yeah. And, and squealing. You, you take that piece out, the song's fine. Um, I think it's it's a solid song. I just give it a I give it a three. I think it's I well, don't really three love more it. than zero. <laughs> yes, uh, I don't really love it, but I think it's a solid. I think it's a solid song. Yeah, and, and I'm not as, I'm not somebody who hates Billy Corgan's voice. I love the Pumpkins. I mean, yeah. uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I love my era of Pumpkins, and they went on kind of like Pearl Jam did. They went and started doing stuff different than what I wanted from them. Sure, but. I understood that it wasn't necessarily like, oh, that fucking sucks. It was more like, well, now they've decided to be something that I don't want. Right. Which is okay, too. They want to grow a different yeah. way than what you want to hang on Kind of like Sixpence None the Richer was <laughs> their entire career. <laughs> Holy shit, we're going Sixpence None the Richer. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that's an upcoming guest on I never want to hear Kiss Me. That's an <laughs> upcoming guest on the Hustle podcast, the, I'm sure. I remember the first time I heard Kiss Me, and I was like, no, and never. <laughs> and I don't want any more. Um, I, I was like, you know, I heard your band name, and I thought, you might suck. And then I heard the song, and I'm like, well, I was right. You I, remember what the follow-up was, don't you? Absolutely not. Uh, they did a version of The Jesus Laws. Jesus Christ, you know this is. Oh, yeah, man, come on. Pop radio. Uh, they did uh, a version of The Laws, There She Goes, but cleverly they changed it to There He Goes. Okay, God damn that. it, thanks a lot. It turns out I do know. It's, it's your gender flip goes. that you were talking about earlier. Oh, so clever. Man. He, it, they should have like doubled down the like, he used to be white, but now he's Indian. Native American, please. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Or, or, we, or no, he could I, be I was from actually India. speaking Bangkok, bitch. <laughs> Bangalore. <laughs> Bangalore. You know, hey, you ever heard of Bangalore Choir? No. Yeah, local guy, David Reese. He went on to sing for Accept. Oh yeah, we're dropping all sorts of names today. Yeah, we're all we're, we're, we got. We got black and blue. We got sixpence the richer, none the richer. Sixpence none the richer. Uh, Andy, uh, I like to give the guest of honor the final word. Yes, sir. So I'm going to lead with my closing thoughts. Considering this is just a soundtrack, I don't feel it holds up as much as I had hoped. I I kind of remembered it, but a little bit more finely than it did on playback. And there's probably a reason why I haven't dropped this in my CD player in about ten years. It's got all the heavies as far as artists on here. You got your Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Pumpkins, and whatever. But for those bands in particular, Wood by Alice in Chains is the only song that is one of the artist's greatest tracks. You know what I mean? It's it's a great representation mm-hmm. that someone would go back to. And personally, Wood wouldn't <laughs> pun uh, make my personal top ten from Alice in Chains, even though I think it's a great track. Really? Not even in your top ten? No, no. Wow. I mean, I could easily come up with ten tracks that I would like better wow. than that. Um, the music works well th- throughout the movie, though, so I guess it's probably a little more important. But as an album that lands on this list, I think it misses the mark, which might surprise you when we get to our rankings. But um, I think it's a, a great, a great snapshot of its time. Uh, you know, and the fact that it's a compilation uh, kind of gives it a little unfair advantage compared to some of the other artists out here. Um, you know, that you can have two songs from Pearl Jam and you can have Mud Honey and Westerberg on here. So in that, in that respect, it's not really fair, but, uh, I think it's a solid album. 
Uh, I think there's a couple clunkers on it, but uh, as you saw from my ratings, I found most stuff to be a four sure. or five. So, so yeah, I'm quite fond of this. I uh, on the top 25 grunge albums, I ranked this as my number four. And it came in at what 19? Is that where we're at? 19 on the Rolling Stone list. Yes. Sir. Okay. So yeah, I, I moved it up as well. I mean, to 14, but largely because uh, there's so many stuff on the front end that I moved down. Sure. Um, I almost I looked at it today. And I actually considered, uh, <laughs> we're hearing gunshots. <laughs> it, Someone's moving their trash. It's, it's actually just someone dumping something in the recycling. Uh, <laughs> we're all nervous here in the, th- in the cities, That's don't right. you know? Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, No curfew tonight. That's I, I considered actually moving this down. And then I looked at what I was going to move it down past, and then I reconsidered. I'm like, I'm going to leave it right where I had it when you and I first spoke. Because I've I've said from the get-go, my list is going to be fluid. Oh, yeah. You know, I get that luxury because as I listen, I'm going to listen to every record. The guests aren't necessarily going to, but, um, yeah, 14 is where this thing is probably locked at. It's it's not bad. It's got some good stuff on it. But as an album, I probably don't think it even belongs in the top 25. Just because... Because uh, it's a fucking soundtrack for a movie. Yeah. I just... Uh. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it, they should have kind of looked at, you know, handicapped it uh, as far as their rankings. Um, because it is unfair to compare this to, uh, you know, a regular Pearl Jam album. Or, uh, Why is Soundgarden Louder Than Love not in the top 25, but uh, this is? A <laughs> good question. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm going with that. Yeah. It, the, now, I guess, is a soundtrack from that era that represents this timeline right i think is why they probably put it where they did yeah well think of it this way too i mean here you have a movie that just kind of captured that perfect time uh a rom-com it turns out a rom-com with the seattle uh, grunge music in the background it was either this or airheads what what do you what prefer what do you well what's the other one um the one with winona Ryder we talked about uh reality bites i think that's a better movie and i hate winona Ryder. Uh, I think that's great as far as a uh, Gen Xer early '90s film, but uh, I still go with singles, uh, movie-wise. Hmm. Uh, and that soundtrack he- leans heavily on the '80s. What about uh, that record store one um, that has all the? the oh, Empire Records. Empire Records. That's not bad. It's it's all right movie. <laughs> what about Johnny Mnemonic? Nice one. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on speed? Uh, uh, too fast. <laughs> too fast for love? Yeah, they got to slow it down. Okay. Uh, um, well, this is fun, Andy. Um, yeah, thanks, any, 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 uh, any other uh, thoughts on this album at all as far as... Uh, you know, whatever, anything you want to talk about, the time, the, the songs, the, the movie, whatever. Like I said, uh, this represents that perfect time for me. I just graduated high school, getting ready to go off to college, so it's always going to have fun memories back. Uh, so would you feel the same about this movie had you already had sex before seeing it? <laughs> Maybe that's the difference between the two of us. Because I'm a little bit older than you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm guessing we probably got laid about the same age. Um, uh, you know, yeah, well, I, I, I could be judging. I'm just... It was a guess. Like I said, I'm about if you graduate in '92, I'm about four years older than you. Yes, that means okay. I had recently gotten laid and saw this movie, and you, <laughs> by my judgment, were about to get laid and saw this movie. So, would that have changed anything? <laughs> uh, no, we're good on the, that answer. Uh, no, like I said, this is. I made uh, him uncomfortable, folks. There we go. 
Uh, yeah, you motherfucker. You yeah, motherfucker. Your sex life on a podcast. Hmm. hmm. Uh, I'm not asking to name names, you fucking prick. <laughs> well, uh, what was her name or his? Uh, their names. Hey. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, no, it's just, uh, this is still back when MTV meant something. Uh, you know, and videos, you know, were still a big thing on MTV. It wasn't all road rules and, uh, you know, yeah. like I said, catfish shows. So, uh, yeah, this just brings back positive uh, times in my life. Although, I don't know what year it was, but um, the first MTV Real World Hawaii, there was a girl on my on that show. Man, her boobs got me through some really, <laughs> really tough times. So her and Allison Stewart. A handful from, of people, yeah. Okay. Allison Stewart really did it for me, too. Yeah, yeah, she man. was a very attractive young lady. And, yeah, uh, definitely. Um one thing I did want to get into was the 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 reissue uh, of this actually included a whole bunch of bonus crap, but there's one tune that you kind of referenced earlier. Uh, uh, Touch me, I'm dick. Touch me, I'm dick. But uh, yeah, no, this is uh, I like I like this album. It's got some good stuff on. it. Very good. Thank uh, you for having me on here, Bob. Absolutely, it's always a pleasure having you on, Andy. Thanks, bro. Um, but um, I don't know. We should probably get going. What do you think? Ah, uh, yeah, whatever. All right, forget it. Never mind.
Yeah, you know, my couch pulls out, but I don't, you know. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 